Hey Laurie. Hey Phil, how you doing? Very well, how are you? Doing very well indeed, thanks. Listeners, welcome to episode 36 of season 2 of Super Belly Bros in Movie Land, currently named anyway. Phil, I'm still thinking about uh, changing the name. Have you thought about just shortening it to Movie Land? You talked about this, this was your sort of idea, wasn't it? Super Belly Bros present the Movie Land podcast, is that what it was? Yeah, Movie Land, the podcast. I'm still thinking more boring, to be honest, Phil. <laughs> so, look, we can cover this later, but listeners, you know, just be aware that uh, if you love the Super Belly Bros name, it's under discussion. So if you've got strong feelings, now's the time to make them known. Mm, indeed. Laurie, what films are we going to be doing this week? Well, finally, Phil, we've actually been to see Dunkirk at long last. Everyone else has beaten us to it, but you had your fancy IMAX experience. Not only that, you guilted me into a fancy IMAX experience as well. So we're ready to talk about it in all Christopher Nolan's, you know, requested glory, 70 mil surround sound. So you blah, saw blah, it blah. as it was intended to be seen. That's at what the we're BFI saying. IMAX in London, that big circular thing. It's actually quite hard to get into. It yeah, took me a I long found time it, to I was it out. a bit intimidating. I didn't know if I have to cross traffic or something like that to get into it. But, but yeah, I figured it out. Listeners, you've been in touch about that for weeks. We've got all your emails and tweets to go through during that review, so something to look forward to, and we will start with that one. But then I've also seen Logan Lucky from Steven Soderbergh, starring Daniel Craig and Channing Tatum, and American Made, Tom Cruise's new movie from Doug Lyman, director of The Bourne Films. We've also got a bit of a what we've been watching and a bit of a review catch-up. I managed to go see Valerian, so I might add in a couple of comments to Laurie's review. Mm -hmm. And also, we've got a little bit of a different sort of movie in Julia and Julie, or Julie and Julia. Julie and Julia. Why is it different? It's just a film. It's just a different sort of vibe than the old uh, Dunkirk and uh, <laughs> drug running of Tom Cruise films, etc., etc., isn't it? That's very true. And I've got only tiny little what we've been watching as a sweet listeners, because I, 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 honestly, I'm too busy to watch many films. That's bad, isn't it? That's that is really bad. All right, let's go. Um, listeners, get in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. If you've got thoughts about what we're saying, in particular, if you agree with us and our thoughts, give us a plus one or a minus one, because Phil and I are still bitterly competitive about who is the most knowledgeable and right most of the time, <laughs> you know, last year I won didn't I, I think no I won last oh, year oh, right, definitely right, won right, me right, right, right. me won I won wow. yes democracy isn't always the most reliable way to <laughs> whatever get these things right is it uh, and you can also check out how to support us on patreon.com slash super baby bros you know I admit that page hasn't been updated in about a year so, so it's quite out of date but what's not out of date is the bank details <laughs> so if you'd like to support us you can go there and find out how anything I'm missing Phil I feel like we're motoring through this big thank you to those who've been getting in touch and also those supporting us on patreon it means a lot and we love doing this, is that correct? What, we live doing this? We love doing this. What do you mean, is that correct? You want me to tell you whether you love it? Well, no, I love it. I'm wondering if you do all the time. <laughs> of course I love it, Phil. That's why we started it. Okay, uh, I don't think there's any more to say. I think we've got a full show, so we need to get moving. Are we doing anything else? Oh, I've got a really tiny little discussion thing to throw you away, Phil. Just a, an unsettling thought that I had. A little thinker-stinker. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. All right, let's get going. <laughs> Just FYI, listeners, we're not going to re-record the whole intro there, but just so you know, Dunkirk is not in this episode because <laughs> we recorded it and it went on for ages. So it is now its own mini episode uh, and you can enjoy all the other films and stuff in this one. Check the feed. It's there. Download it. Have a listen. But here is Logan Lucky. That's right. First up, Logan Lucky. You're a Steven Soderbergh fan. Yeah, I do. I think he's a talented guy. He's a lot of style. He apparently took a retirement in filmmaking. So they say. After Contagion, that Matt Damon one. Yeah. The Infection movie. And yet here he is with Logan Lucky. That's What's right. What's happened? First film in four years. He's a fascinating guy, Phil. And I have to admit, when I was reviewing this, because I was doing it for the paper, I had to, you know, do proper reading around it and stuff. He's a really interesting guy. He's a bit disruptive. And he's someone who doesn't seem to like the current model that studios are offering. He's all into alternative distribution and marketing methods there's a film he did called bubble have you heard this where uh, it was released in cinemas and i think on dvd something like two days later so and everyone was thinking oh what's this guy doing and he did it ages ago kind of before the netflix thing spiraled out of control whereas now pretty much as soon as the cinema finishes its run the dvd comes out you sort of yeah maximizing profit so he's a real innovator interesting chap and oceans 11 it's a feel-good fun time isn't it yeah i enjoy the other two as well the middle one not so much but i think he's he's unbelievably stylish well you know he did Aaron Brockovich too did he really yeah what 
Yeah, yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? He's way more of a chameleon than you think. He's done strange sort of solo arty projects, one called oh, I can't, Psychopathy or something. I can't remember what it's called properly, where he acts in it. And it's this weird sort of art house, fourth wall breaking film. He's been all around the block and done, well, even like erotic thrillers. Have you heard of Sex, Lies and Videotape? Yeah, with Ewan McGregor, right? Not Ewan McGregor, a James Spader film. It was years and years ago. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what launched him. He is an odd chap. He's odder than you think he is. And I think that's worth bearing in mind for Logan Lucky. So this is the film that's brought him out of his self-imposed retirement for whatever reason. Uh, and he said the script was so good, he wanted to do it. They came to him with the script and he was, they were looking for other directors. But he said, no, 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 I will do this for you. And I would say, listeners, it is Ocean's Eleven uh, meets sort of Quentin Tarantino meets the Coen brothers. And somewhere in the middle of that is this strange, in quotes, redneck robbers heist movie. They describe themselves in the film as redneck robbers or the Ocean's 7-Eleven. That is 7-Eleven, is that what they Ocean call it? 7-Eleven. That's something that a news reporter in the film says about uh, the heist that takes place. And if you can't tell, it's incredibly self-aware. Steven Soderbergh knows what his reputation is. He understands this film. Yeah. And he is totally out to serve the audience in whatever way he thinks is most enjoyable. Uh, there's some, there's two particular scenes that really highlight that more than anything else, and I'll come to those later. For now, shall we have a clip? Yes. So here is Jimmy Logan, played by Channing Tatum. He is a down-on-his-luck father. He loves his little girl, Sadie, but he's just lost his job because of an old leg injury that he tried to keep quiet. So now with no money, his wife, ex-wife, Katie Holmes, is saying, I'm going to take my family and your daughter across the state line. He's like, no, I can't do that because I love my daughter, so I need to find some really fast cash to fight this legally but he's got no job where's he going to get the cash from so he goes to his also down on his luck uh, slightly glum brother Clyde played by Adam Driver played brilliantly by Adam Driver and he's trying to convince him to take part uh, in a bit of a heist to make the money fast so here is uh, not their first meeting but their second meeting when Adam Driver's Clyde says he's all in here we go yesterday as you were leaving the bar you said the word cauliflower that's right I didn't the last time you said that word to me, I ended up getting sent down for six months. It was juvie. I was 13. And you were supposed to be the lookout, now weren't you? Being that I was your kid brother, I let you lead me into trouble with all your crazy cauliflower plans. My life of crime is over. But you did make breakfast this morning. Even burned the bacon like I like and you ate. I also saw you have some sort of robbery to-do list. I know this attempt to be organized is a big step for you, so go. Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah, what'd you make of that, Phil? Yeah, rednecky and silly and a bit hillbilly-ish. It's a bit alarm bells for me having guys playing that sort of character... Do you think in it's a bit disrespectful? slightly comedic way. A little bit snobby? Yeah, it's a little... I don't know. It feels a little bit uncomfortable and not that authentic. I admit, I thought there was a slight whiff of snobbery here, a sort of let's look down on these simple people from West Virginia as if they're a bit dumb or whatever it is. The film does a lot to recover from that, but I'll tell you, I think that was my first hint that this may be an inexperienced screenwriter. And this is a good opportunity to say that the screenplay is attributed to Rebecca Blunt. Have you heard of her, Phil? No. Of course you haven't, because it's her first film, and some people have speculated she's just a pseudonym. And in really? fact, it's either Steven Soderbergh or his wife who have done it. And Steven Soderbergh is known for putting uh, pseudonyms to various different aspects of work, because he's an How editor. interesting. So uh, there's something slightly funny about this script, and that means there's something slightly funny about the production story, and that could provide a reason why there are some slightly odd things like what you're describing that are still in the film. Haven't been ironed out. Exactly, that might have got rid of. But with all that said, I quite enjoyed it, Phil. This is a film that knows exactly what it is. It's out to entertain, it's out to be funny. It dabbles in stereotypes, generally, non-offensively. More sort of revels in the idea of capturing a way of life that is anti-glam. That's a quote from Steven Soderbergh. He said it's an anti-glam Ocean's Eleven. People don't dress nice, they don't have nice things. Let's make a heist movie there. And it's got Daniel Craig in it, not being James Bond. What is he being? He is playing Joe Bang, who is a convict that uh, the brothers Jimmy and Clyde go to 
to help them with their plan because they're trying to rob the speedway. The way they're going to do that is go to the money room. There are these pneumatic tubes that feed the money that's collected on race day into a box, into a room underground. They're going to try and get in there and steal the money, but to do that, they need an explosives expert. This is a guy they know, Joe Bang, Daniel Craig, bleach blonde hair, tough guy, tattoos, also speaking with that kind of West Virginia lilt. And Phil, you've already said to me, you think he looks terrible in it. I just don't think I really buy into it. I I think, in fact, he's too big of a star to do that sort of role. Really? He's The whole time I'm just thinking there's Daniel Craig putting on a silly accent. I really liked him in it, Phil. I thought he was really good. I think he showcases that he is not James Bond. And it also makes me think, how annoyed must the man be that that's all anyone can think about him? Like you say, he's too well known now. He's one of the few sort of megawatt stars in existence. That craggy face is distinctive. I think if, if he pulls it off, man, you're, you're looking so sceptical. Your eyes are But I, I, I just want to clarify. It's not because I think, oh, he's James Bond. It's, oh, he's Daniel Craig. Yeah, but the reason you think he's Daniel Craig is because he's James Bond. That's, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely it is. That's that's his principal claim to fame, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I really, I really loved him in this, and I was really glad that here is an, an opportunity to break out of the mould. And Steven Soderbergh, I think, must know it. He's known for working well with actors and giving them a bit of freedom because Daniel Craig gets a lot of screen time and some surprising sort of depth and an arc that you don't really know which way it's going to go. And I think that's a sort of common thread throughout it. Although it's very obvious what the structure is, it's like a mirror image of uh, Ocean's Eleven completely. You know, let's build, get together a quirky team. They go to Joe Bang, then they get his two brothers. Sound familiar? Like the brothers who race cars mm. in Ocean's Eleven? Exactly the same sort of character type. They're not fleshed out at all. They're just a bit oddball. It's all like that, and the heist gradually takes shape. Stuff is dangled just out of reach for you, so you don't really know the plan. And Steven Soderbergh is holding details until he can deliver them for maximum impact to you, all that kind of stuff. Like the Ocean's Eleven film, you think one thing and then you get presented a complete different twist. Literally the twist. It kind of meanders around. And with all that, I do think it's very impressive direction because... There's not that much exposition and he trusts you as the viewer to do a lot of stitching together yourself. So he'll do the Chekhov gun stuff, but you won't necessarily realise that's what it is. Until later when it's needed. Yeah, and it's spaced out in just enough time so you haven't forgotten that detail and you're ready to stitch it back together. A bit like J.K. Rowling, who somehow managed to seed stuff really well and then picks it up again. And you exactly. think, oh, right, of course. And then when you rewatch it again, you're like, oh, well, no way, I didn't spot that it's building up to it. Yeah, exactly that. But your brain notices it and it's done visually. It's not through dialogue. All really, really clever. I think it does lose its way a bit and becomes... A bit complicated when plot threads start multiplying and there's an attempt to round things up at the end that doesn't entirely work. But it's still enjoyable to see a director who trusts the audience to go along with the flow. And the best part of all this is that because so much of it is done with the visuals and quick cuts and scenes, isolated moments, it means he can allow himself to have really long character and comedy scenes that other films just don't have the time for. Mm. It's very efficiently done. And yet there are some weirdly, like, absurdly extended baggy comedy sequences that really have no business being there and it's almost the audacity of it being in the film that is funnier than the content of it so a really good example is when joe bang is about to deliver on his part of the plan jimmy and clyde are a bit confused about the sort of science for the explosive device that he's going for and you think he's just going to explain it and get on with it but then he takes even longer to do it and starts writing equations on the wall in chalk and then other elements of the scene get played out for longer. I'm trying not to spoil it. But it is, it is absurdly long. And you sort of laugh in disbelief that the film has enough time to spend on this stupid little moment. And on top of that, Phil, there's Game of Thrones in this film. There is some really detailed, prolonged, absurdly long Game of Thrones reference jokes. There are prisoners and their major demand from the warden is that they want the next book of the Game of Thrones series. And so he says he, he hasn't written it yet. And they're like, what? This is BS. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, it's what is that? What's that in a film? What's that doing there? I don't know what it's doing there, but I'm impressed that it's there and that they sort of get away with it. I'm impressed in the sense that it just is so unusual and it's what other film would have it in. Yeah, and it's sort of proving the point that the film doesn't need to do it the way that others do because it's so efficiently visually done that they've got time for this stupidity. Can I just say what thing has been rattling around in my head since you said it right at the beginning of the review? It's Ocean's Eleven without the the glam and the glitz of Vegas. It's in sort of hillbilly redneck country stuff. I think that sounds like an awful idea because the whole part of the reason why I loved Ocean's Eleven was the fact that it was all glitzy and glammy and it was in Vegas and it was like seeing the back rooms of the Vegas casinos. Yeah. And you get to see criminals, rather than being dumb and stupid and selfish, they're classy and cool and suave and clever. 
And so it seems like you're taking uh, a winning recipe with the Ocean's Eleven films and then taking away one of the major selling points of it and putting it into this really kind of horrible world. Well, how interesting. I completely disagree, Phil. And I think this is a weird phenomenon that's happening in cinema right now. Uh, But I think there is just as much wish fulfillment and aspiration in this as there is in Ocean's Eleven, but of a different kind. It's not for the look and the lifestyle, perhaps. It's more for the lawlessness of it, I think. So here are people who are so down on their luck, they don't really care anymore. And you're right there with them. You feel like society's failed them. And you sort of want them to They're succeed. They're going to take it over a, an, yeah. on their own hands. And there's kind of a weird aspiration to be these people who do kind of dress a little bit trashily, but they don't care. It's more to be people who are so streetwise. They don't need, they don't need to be glam, to be cool. They don't, they don't care enough. Does that make sense? Mm, I don't quite buy it, but that's interesting. I wonder what other people think about that. I think I'm spotting a bit of a wave of that in cinema at the moment. But yeah, I think the performances are all good. Hilary Swank turns up completely unexpectedly. Really like Daniel Craig. Channing Tatum's very charming. I think Adam Driver nearly steals the show because his comic delivery is brilliant. I didn't know he was... Super talented guy, isn't he? He's so talented. I was really impressed by him. And I think he'll charm anyone who's got doubts about the film. It's funny because the guy's a funny looking dude, but as soon as he got that long hair he's from quite Star Wars, guy, man. he took out his ears and then once the ears went, he suddenly get cast at everything. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Do you think that's what it is? Yeah, massively, <laughs> massively. That's funny. Uh, Hollywood's uh, very superficial, isn't it? Well, there you go. Uh, listen, so I'm going to give it a B plus and I recommend you go and watch it. It's a good time. It's not long and there are some interesting choices that don't tend to get made anymore. Uh, one extra thing to add in is that As I said, Steven Soderbergh is an interesting character and he has financed this in a different sort of way. He's gone for a completely different marketing technique. He's distributing it very differently. He's involved in the production of it. He's sort of, it's a one in the face, according to speeches that he's made anyway, to studios who spend hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing. And his sort of belief is that it's the marketing costs for a film that are stopping indie and medium-sized filmmakers from getting on with things and it means that you can only do massive budget massive marketing uh, and that's the only films that will get released and support so this is his way of saying no 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 we can do it differently spend the money on the film we can be much more responsible with our money we can be clever about pre-sales and things like that it hasn't actually done very well so far in America and pe- people are saying that's because it's up against the hitman's bodyguard personally I wouldn't put it past some very savvy marketing and business types to try and sabotage it because who wants to shake up the industry not the people earning loads of money doing it mm. it's more the creatives who want to do that so I would say if you've got a toss up between films to see at the cinema go and see this one at the cinema support it and then watch the others on streaming when they when they get released any bonuses? Um, I don't think so. I've kind of given them away already in the body of the review. You get better at that. Is that's better reviewing? That's Do you think so? Is. Yeah. Well, okay. That's what I'm telling you anyway. Well, thanks, Phil. Right, Phil. Here's our little mini thing, mm-hmm. and I've got sad about this. I feel unsettled, genuinely unsettled about it. Oh no! Because you know, do you have that sensation where you like an actor, but suddenly you start thinking, are they actually any any good, or do I just like? <laughs> what them? is in like you like them personally, and then you think. Is they're not actually talented yeah something like that i had a really worrying moment i started watching haywire have you come across that uh yes that's the uh one starring a wrestler isn't it and Gina it's directed somebody and it's yeah. directed by steven soderbergh it's because of i was doing all this reading I've about steven that. soderbergh it's quite enjoyable channing chayton's in it michael fassbender's in it as well mm-hmm. crucially for my point ewan mcgregor is in it film and ewan mcgregor is doing a bad american accent and seeming not very convincing and just a bit Ewan McGregor. And I, I thought to myself, oh, he's not very good in this. But that's okay, because he's been really good in other things. And then I was thinking, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Wait a second. What, what's he been good in? Actually, I can't think of any films I've seen Ewan McGregor in. I was, basically, this is the way my mind works sometimes, listeners. I was thinking if I ever met him, I'd say, oh, I wasn't Be so buddies. much a fan of you in this, but I liked you a lot in this. That's a you want to have a cool indie movie to reference and say you were great in that. I can't think of a single one. <laughs> like, I, genuinely, I'm worried that he's not a great actor. And he's fine in train spotting, but I kind of think he's playing the most boring role, isn't he? So anyone could have done that. Or what is Renton or whatever. Yeah, like everyone, the thing with Renton is that he's the only one. He's the everyman. Yeah, and everyone around him is going crazy. What about Moulin Rouge? He's going to Moulin Rouge, but that's totally different, isn't it? That's like Cabaret. It's just different. Same with Down With Love, which I think he's good in, but it's because he's playing a ham, isn't he? Mm. Is he a good actor, Phil? That's my what's question his, uh, What's his big IMDb list? Can you give me some of his big movies? Uh, Attack of the Clones, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does a good job as Alec Guinness, like ripoff. Yeah, uh, but again, it's not, a good, it's not good acting because no one can, comes off well in those films, do they? I felt like he was a strong part of them. Big Fish? 
That was a weird film. That was Tim Burton's film, wasn't it? I someone something I'm not sure to do with his father or something like that. Yeah, it's based on a book. He's going back through his memories and that sort of thing. The Island. I liked him in The Island. I thought he was quite convincing as an action lead. Maybe I but can't remember him very that, well. Not that good dramatic performance. <laughs> do you know mm. the one that really stands out in my head that I think he might be good in is The Ghostwriter. Have you seen that? Yes, with Pierce Brosnan. He's the uh, the lead. I haven't seen that film, though. But again, it's because he's playing a sort of everyman who just gets uh, gradually becomes paranoid. But he's okay in that. And I, But I just think for the name that he is, for the gigs that he gets, I don't think he's that good. And that makes me really sad. But that I really can't like be true. <laughs> That's really complex now. You're just spreading a disease of trauma. Well, I want trauma. to know. I want to know. And listeners, you know, do tell me. Uh, do you think he's good? Can you highlight a performance where he shows really great dramatic depth? Or is he just a movie star? I remember seeing a little bit by a stand-up comedian in which he said that Ewan McGregor was like the most beautiful man he'd ever seen He's in very life. handsome. And I He's think that's, very handsome yeah, and very he charming. He's got an incredible smile. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's the, that's what it is. He's just sort of, oh, he's nice, but you nice guy to watch. Right? Because James McAvoy has had a very similar trajectory because I think he began out of Shameless, didn't he? Yeah, TV actor. And that kind of, a, not the same because it's a comedy, but slight parallels with Trainspotting, the same sort of grungy British thing. But James McAvoy just continued continues to ascend i think and he's his an impressive actor, incredible yeah you mcgregor not so much he's always you mcgregor and i'm sad about it so let me know listeners and that's our little segue into the only piece of movie news that we're going to do really fast which is apparently there's an obi-wan kenobi uh prequel coming out i, I don't think they're going to cast you don't Ewan McGregor. He, i don't know maybe he'd be good in it Maybe they could do the the gap, the between the end of uh, uh, what's it, Revenge of the the Sith. Jedi or whatever yeah. Sith and uh, A New Hope. You could just see uh, Ben Kenobi just making farming. some stew, <laughs> sort weird. of scaring Tusken Raiders <laughs> in his days off. He's like, what they like? I do slightly wonder what they can do because they've done his entire youth already with Anakin, and they're not going to bring him back. I'll probably be a mission with Qui Gon Jinn or something like that. Although you know what, I wouldn't mind if they did bring Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor back together. I'd like to see what they can manage in the hands of another director and a different script. With different script. Oh, that'd be really interesting. It'd be quite fun to see them be believable. Potentially be good, yeah. That might actually help um, Lucasfilm slash Disney bridge the chasm of quality between the prequels and the uh, the current ones. My prediction way, way in the future, and this is not related to what we were talking about, I wonder if they're re- going to redo the uh, the prequels at some point. Do you think point. so? Remake? Yeah, remake, reboot them, redo them. When they've I, run I out think... of all the other Star Wars ideas, go back and refix them, basically. I slightly think they're too broken because the story itself isn't up to, up to scratch. I think just start again, basically. Redo them, but with the same characters, different story. Well, anyway, in terms of the question of Ewan McGregor, though, that is troubling that is you troubling. have raised that. And I wonder if there are other actors as well out there who you think, oh, yeah, you they're really good. Them. Oh, I'll go and see then, what they're in, yeah. But then I thought that about Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's the next one that jumps to mind. A lot of people say that about Brad Pitt. I liked him a lot in 12 Monkeys. He was uh, quite good in Fight yeah. Club. Yes, yeah, he But was. then he's just Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. He's just Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt. Mm. That's the thing, is it... When you think about him being dramatic and outstanding dramatically... Some people you said that about Robert Redford as well. Oh, Robert Redford is Robert Redford and everything. Yeah, but he's just great, isn't he? That's the thing. So, But I think you can tell he's at quality level. Well, I don't higher. know. Maybe it's just that you like the guy. <laughs> Maybe it's you like his hair and you think tell he's like, oh, he's cool. I want to be friends with him. Does that make you nervous or can you defend Ewan McGregor's acting honour? Or do you want to accuse another actor mm. of not really being up to, up to scratch? And give us your thoughts on the Obi-Wan prequel too superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros right American Made I saw this last night Phil how, how are you feeling about Tom Cruise these days I think he's uh, jumping from lily pad to lily pad trying to find his lily next lily pad to lily pad like a frog is yeah. that a metaphor yeah it's not one I'm familiar with I don't know it works say then. it again lily pad to lily pad to what to try and find a home. Like, I think <laughs> it's fine. Just move on. homeless frog is now in my head. I care more about that than I do about the film. Uh, I just think he doesn't really know what to do. He's got the Mission Impossible franchise, which I think is still quite strong. Yeah, he's back um, again for that. And that's six. down to his stunts and things like that. But in terms of his dramatic clout, I think it's on the low. In terms of other bankable franchises, he's on the low. Mummy was not good for him, I don't think. And it was sort of uh, widely acknowledged informally as his film as well, wasn't it? Yeah, he was taking it over and making it into a big franchise. I think he is, I get the impression with this film anyway, trying to do a bit more serious acting. Interesting. To try and maybe flex his muscles again. And if the if he starts losing his uh, his muscles or maybe not so fit and agile as he once was, 
maybe he's got his dramatic side to fall well, back that is, on. That is interesting, and we've got to come back to that in a minute or two, because the cruiser, you know, whenever he's present, you can't ignore him, can you? It's mm. too big. Listeners, this is a film that is based on the real life of a guy called Barry Seal. I have tried to find out details, but I can't be completely sure. I think it must it's confidential because co- it's a CIA. Well, yeah, I think it must take quite a lot of dramatic license. But it must be based in something. I don't know. I don't know. You know don't quote me on that, listeners. I'm not the one who wrote it. Doug Lyman uh, has turned up to direct it. He was the Born Identity director and Jumper and Swingers. and Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, also with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, that was as well. And the way that they spin it is they turn the life of this guy, Barry Seal, into a kind of glamorous... 80s almost heisty docudrama kind of thing i can't can't quite pin down the genre to be quite fun from the trailer do you remember when i reviewed that film gold starring matthew mcconaughey yeah i feel like this is very much in the same vein it is the difference with gold is that it's completely made up and it missed the marks this one isn't made up and it mainly hits the marks so barry seal was an incredibly talented pilot i think he started training when he was just 15 and he was one of the youngest sort of commercial airline passenger pilots uh, in existence but the way the film tells it anyway he was kind of bored so there's an opening sequence character set up stuff where everyone's sleeping on the plane because it's such a smooth trip even his co-pilot says wake me up when we get over texas so when everyone's asleep tom cruise's barry just you know looks around and thinks everyone's asleep so he deliberately takes the plane off autopilot puts her into a dive rumbles around a bit so that everyone wakes up bags fall out of the baggage compartments then he pulls up again and says oh sorry folks uh, just a bit of turbulence there that kind of thing yeah so here's a thrill seeker phil and he's bored with his routine life you got it Mm -hmm. you know as much as i'm making fun of that i think that's pretty good isn't it that's Mm. classic setup doesn't need to tell you anything shows you something that he does to tell you who he is and then what follows after that is an invitation from donald gleason who is playing a quite sort of city slicker slightly sleazy cia agent called schaefer uh he turns up and meets barry and says look barry Come and work for us, basically. We think you're a good pilot. We also happen to know that you've been smuggling Cuban cigars as part of your day job in your commercial duties. So as opposed to prosecute you for that, why don't you come and work for us? We'll set you up with your own little company and you're going to be flying covert photography missions for the CIA over in South America, where at the time they were very, very worried about the rise of communism. Yeah. Should we have a clip of that meeting? Yeah. Here they are. CIA owns this? No. No. Uh... Independent Aviation Consultants. I-A-C. Yeah. You run the company, but after hours, you work for us. Takes pictures? The work is covert. Covert. So uh, anyone finds out about it, uh, family, friends, even uh, Lucy. It's Lucy, right? Yeah, that's right. That'd be a problem. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there's not a lot of trust on either side, but Tom Cruise is playing Barry as a sort of lovable, slightly canny, but straightforward bloke. He seems a bit like a dork. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. I think maybe it's the accent that he's trying to go for, the slightly southern down on his luck guy i work for the cia or whatever but he's not like that I, I don't know but because it's tom cruise doing it you know what tom cruise sounds like if he played it straight i think it probably would play better in my mind so here is the problem the finger is right on it it's a big problem you can't miss it it's the tom cruise problem i feel for him phil you know not that he cares he's rich enough it doesn't matter to him <laughs> but he's kind of he can't he just can't do it phil he's tom cruise he'll always be tom cruise that smile the thousand kilowatt smile we've seen a million times we've seen every string to his bow again and again and again and you know his private life has been on display for so long everyone has an opinion about tom cruise and you cannot miss that it's tom cruise and it's so annoying because i actually think he's pretty good he normally does deliver he's a he's a bankable movie star but as you say what has he delivered on recently tends to be action doesn't it Mm. so you don't necessarily need to be an amazing uh, actor to do action just get on with it and be committed and sound stressed you know shout in high stress situations run fast all that kind of stuff but I think he has always been a pretty talented actual actor. Think about A Few Good Men, or The Firm, all that sort of stuff. Magnolia. He's good. Yeah, he's compelling. And I can see little glimmers of that here. And he does come across as this easygoing, you know, he's clever enough to spot a bad deal. He knows how to talk his way out of situations. 
all the while allowing people to underestimate him because he doesn't present as someone who's super smart. He presents as someone you could take advantage of, but actually he's going to take advantage of you. And mm. that's the way the film plays out. So he does agree to work for the CIA. It does amazing low-flying camera shots and the CIA are so impressed. They're like, who's doing this? We don't ask for mug shots. We ask for, you know, aerial shots. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Phil. I'm sure the, you know, the film would be glad that you did as well. <laughs> but he also spots an opportunity. He happens to come into contact with the Medellin or the Medellin cartel have you heard of them phil pablo escobar exactly eventually run by pablo escobar but this is the beginnings of it when there are three leaders they say come and fly cocaine for us there's a slightly implied threat in there but more than that there's a lot of money the cia don't seem to be paying barry seal much money so he says fine yeah i'll do it he's that kind of guy he's used to playing both ends against the middle so while he's flying photographs the cia he picks up drugs and takes them back and comes up with a plan for dropping them so that he can't be seen that sort of structure is repeated a lot. You see the the way that it impacts his young family. He has to relocate them because they kind of find out about his drug smuggling and different law enforcement agencies pick him up. He's got to stay under the radar, but he's so obviously on the radar. And it becomes this weirdly tangled mess of him attempting to find a route through it all to make money out of the drugs without getting killed by the cartel uh, and to have a semi-respectable job with the CIA without revealing to them his drug smuggling activities. And you can already see it is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Now, it's worth saying that that isn't what Wikipedia describes Barry Seal's life as being like. The way that Wikipedia tells it, he was a drug smuggler and he got caught and then he you know, said, I'll help you out if you'll reduce my sentence. The film doesn't do that. As I've just said, the film says he was working for the CIA and then got into drug smuggling. Mm Mm-hmm. And then another deal got struck, blah, 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 blah. So I think leave aside the true story-ness of it if you want to enjoy this film and do your best to just enjoy the ride because it is an enjoyable ride. Is it? I found it really enjoyable. Like I said, the Tom Cruise problem is there. Can't miss it. But I forgot that I was watching Tom Cruise enough, enough times that it was okay. He's funny. He's got good comic timing. He's got good delivery. He doesn't have the best accent but he uses all his Tom Cruise tricks, that smile and everything else, to good effect. And, you know, some people are saying he's even willing to set himself up. You know, the fact that he's a pilot here immediately draws parallels with Top Gun. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where he gets one of his teeth knocked out. There's nothing glam about his character. And Tom Cruise, he kind of pulls it off. But yeah, it is fun. The plot's occasionally kind of hard to follow, but it doesn't matter. The music cues generally tell you how you should feel <laughs> when it's a jolly rock yep. song from the 80s. You know, you should be feeling good. You should be laughing. The cinema I was in was laughing a lot. So I don't doubt that if you watch it, there are things you'll chuckle at. But the major problem I have with it, beside the Tom Cruise problem, is that it doesn't, it's not especially good at shifting gears. And, you know, Doug Lyman, I don't think any of the films he's done before have really been like this, a sort of cockeyed documentary with a bit of irony to it Mm -hmm. and so when it comes time to do serious things occasionally it's it doesn't really work it feels out of place and you suddenly find yourself thinking well hang on a minute is this disrespectful is this in poor taste is this glamorizing drug smuggling is there something off about this film? Do you ever wonder, like, if people are running out of good true stories to tell? You know, <laughs> as point. a genre, they're like scraping the barrel a bit because they've already told the big ones with the good nuggets in of uh, chocolatey goodness or whatever. Yeah, possibly. You've got to scrape the bottom of the barrel a bit. But I mean, there are still loads out there. I saw one on exactly this same thing uh, last year, The Infiltrator with Brian Cranston. He was also undercover in a drug smuggling room. But didn't you find that a bit average as well? Yeah, it was quite average. I think maybe you're right. Maybe it's the stories they're based Where's on. Where's the Aaron Brockoviches or whatever? <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of those who made. You find one, Phil. You make the film. I will. Yeah, I good, will. Good, good. True story of the Bailey Brace. Nice. <laughs> right oh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> or not. What's um, the grade, Laurie? I would probably give it a... Ooh, I want to give it a B plus, actually. Because I really... I did enjoy it. I was I'm surprised. surprised. Well, why don't you watch it, Phil? I'd, li- I'd quite like to know your thoughts on it. Because I think... You have a slightly more discerning eye than me for this kind of film. You enjoy the docu stuff more than mm. I do. Um, but I was generally carried along by it. Good energy, good performances. I really thought Donald Gleeson was good. And it's a worrying thing. I think he sort of props up Tom Cruise. Ooh, weird. Yeah, he holds his own very, very well. And I've not seen Donald Gleeson play that sort of character before. He's a bit of a blagger, um, but with a veneer of respectability. He's, He's one to watch, I think. Absolutely. He's going up and up. Any bonuses? Or have you melded them into your review as usual? No, no. I think I will say it's the first time I've ever seen someone make a joke that involves planes tapping each other on the wing. I think that's all I can say. I've seen terrible moments in action films where planes go upside down and wave at each other through the cockpit (laughs) glass. 
But yeah, that was quite an original little plane gag here. Uh-huh. We've got to do a fast what I've been watching this week. No jingle, Phil. What's the film? This film is Julie and Julia, starring Mel Streep and Amy Adams. Do you have a trailer? Trailer. I'm Julia Child. Bon appétit. Before she changed the world, Julia Child was just an American living in France. Shouldn't I find something to do? What is it that you really like to do? Eat. And we are so good at it. Look at you. Now, They're growing in front of you. But what does Julia Child have to do with me, lowly cubicle worker Julie Powell? So how's your job, Julie? Are you the person to speak to about my insurance form? You can speak to me. Do you have any power? No. Heartbreak. So sad. Painful. Not in a bad way. I don't know. Do you think I'm lost? Is this lost? If you met me, would you think that woman is lost? I would think that woman is strangely repetitive. Did you hear what happened to this one? Showtime bought my blog for a miniseries. I could write a blog. I have thoughts. Write a blog about cooking. I'm not a real cook like Julia Child. Julia Child wasn't always Julia Child. Why don't I go to cooking school? Bonjour! The Julie slash Julia Project. I cook my way through Julia Child's cookbook. 365 days, 524 recipes. I am risking my well-being for a deranged assignment. Is it crazy? Yes. You should have seen the way those men looked at me. But then they discovered I was fearless. Oh, Julia, you make it sound so simple. Your book is going to change the world. What if I don't make my deadline? I'll waste a whole year of my life. I used to be thin and now I'm fat. Just your face. It's supposed to be a big adventure, but it just turns out to be a lot of meltdowns. Yeah! There's all of this stuff on the floor! Oh, never apologize. From writer-director Nora Ephron. <laughs> that is good, isn't it? Meryl Streep, Amy Adams. I was drowning and she pulled me out of the ocean. Don't get carried away. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? Mm. Oh my. You have no real talent for cooking. Julie and Julia, based on two true stories. So Meryl Streep is playing Julia Child. Do you know who Julia Child is? Nope. She is apparently the absolute superstar of the chef world. She is the grandmother or whatever of culinary celebrity chefs. She's the one who made America believe they could cook. And she wrote a very famous book called French Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Right. Or whatever. And she had a TV personality show and everything. And she's quite eccentric sort of lady. So that's who Meryl Streep's playing. Then you've got Julie, who's played by Amy Adams. And she is a down-on-her-luck writer who does not like her job. She's working in a cubicle. And... Uh, when she's sick of her life and the fact that she's not writing and she's never finished any projects, her husband suggests, well, you like cooking. Why don't you do something about that? Why don't you write a blog or whatever? And then she says, mm, but what would I do? What would I try and do? I need to have something that drives me so I actually finish it. And then she stumbles across the idea of maybe trying to cook everything in Julia Child's cookbook in a year. Oh, wow. Got the idea? <laughs> so this film, I watched it while I was away. And it's directed by Nora Ephron, you know, yeah, yeah, Parent yeah, Trap. I like Nora Ephron. Me I think too. she knows how to put together a nice, fun film. I thought, oh, great, let's watch this. And I weirdly did kind of enjoy this film. That's good. Great. And at the same time, there was something utterly detestable about it. But I'll come on to the, the bad bit at the end. I think the best bit about this film, annoyingly, is Meryl Streep. I think she's annoyingly likeable as Julia Child. She's really eccentric, as you probably heard in the trailer. She's loud, a bit obnoxious, and sort of bumbles her way through culinary school, learning to cook with her husband, played by Stanley Tucci, who is always brilliant in everything. Yeah, he's a charmer, isn't he? And that whole side of her being in France and moving around because of her husband's job and trying to write this book. You get to see the story of her trying to get this book made as she learns the art of French cooking and then puts it together and puts it out there for American audiences. I really enjoyed her little narrative and story and you get to see her sister and it just... Meryl Streep's a very good actress, I yeah. think. Yeah, she's talented. Um, obviously, but I'm annoyed that she's a good actress because everyone says she's a good actress, but she is good in this. Her voice is a little bit weird, but it kind of works. Everything about it works. The thing which really, I really... I've never hated a character more is Julie. Amy Adams' character is the most unlikable lead I've ever seen on Why? screen. She is just 
vile, absolutely vile. <laughs> wow, I you, cannot believe how much I did not like her. Really selling this as well. Phil. She is so selfish, so self-absorbed, so pathetic and whingy and whiny and oh boohoo me, oh I can't cook this whatever it is, some sort of calf foot jelly or something she's trying to make and she said oh it's fallen down, it's fallen on the floor, I hate my life and she has like meltdowns as she tries to cook these recipes. Her husband, poor husband, I was rooting for him. I genuinely was kind of rooting that she, he would leave her. Phil, that is, and I'm joking, I don't mean that genuinely. Stay together, folks. Anyway, <laughs> but the thing was, is this is meant to, I was amazed because Nora Ephron knows how to make a movie. And yet she managed to construct this most horrible lady that I just did not want to see succeed. I wanted her to fail. I wanted her to not do anything. Is it based on a real person? It's based on a real person, a real book. So that's why I'm so amazed because it's you can't really do that. She's she she wrote this book, Julie and Julia, and all about her story of putting together this idea, trying to achieve it, trying to learn how to cook, and yet she comes across horribly in the film. And Amy Adams, who's a likable actress yeah, and is. a talented actress. There's something off. I don't know what it is. It must be direction. It must be editing. It might be even the script. I can't put my finger on it. I'd be interested to know anyone who has seen it, what whether or not they agree with me or if I'm just being weird. There's something about this that I do not like. And it really, really affected me. I, I've never not liked a character <laughs> as much as this character. It might just be a personal thing, you know, a bit of a Marmite moment for you, Phil. I don't know. I, I don't know. And if she's the lead, presumably that is a death knell for the film then. Sort of, but then the the atmosphere of this uh, this cooking environment is enchanting. It made me think that there's something really magical about cooking that wins you over, and it made me realise that there's been a lot of times. I'm not a, a chef. I don't really like. No, cooking. you're not. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. And yet, I find myself watching cooking programs a lot, and just the way that food is presented and seeing people prepare food mm. is enchanting and it made me want it's to a real see, skill isn't it it yeah. made me want to go and buy this julia child trip book cookbook and have a go at it myself well, even are. though i have none of the skills to do it and so in one sense i love the film and i found it very enjoyable watching it i did watch it over the course of a couple of nights but at the same time i've never met a character i've hated more well, there we go. What's the grade? I would probably give it a B minus. I sort of enjoyed it and hated it. In Is it equal sort measure. of advisedly recommended? In you know, if someone does feel the same way as you about Amy Adams, but presumably a lot of people won't. Well, I don't know. I think that's kind of why I wanted to do it for what we've been watching because I wanted to know if it's just me being really strange and weird, or if other people agree and think, oh, horrible. It's a bit like how I feel about Hitch's girlfriend in the movie Hitch. Oh, yeah, she is a bit annoying. Oh, yeah, something about her just really irritates me. Well, the, Jocelyn in A Knight's Tale is annoying, but in a nice way, I often think. Yeah, she's nice, whereas this, I did not, I, every single time she came, came back on the screen, Amy Adams, I was like, oh, I just want to go back to Julia Child oh, and see her lovely little marriage. <laughs> well, there you go, listeners. That's a very unexpectedly strong opinion from Phil Sorry about that. on Julie and Julia. Uh, I was going to do Steven Spielberg's 1941, but you know what, Phil? Let's save it for another day because okay. I haven't sort of collected my thoughts on it that well either. And it, yeah, well, we'll come to it later. Hey, that's what I've been watching this week. Okay, listeners, quick emails too. Have you got a really fast song, Phil? Email, email, email. Brilliant stuff. Esther Patterson. Ah, oh, Phil, sad you didn't like Patterson that much. This is your ongoing feud with Esther about the film. I was just happy to see such a sweet relationship betrayed, which is often lacking in other bits of cinema. Refreshing. That is true. I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, that was quite nice about the film. And she also goes on to say, we did watch it in bits over a number of evenings. Oh, that's a tidbit you didn't mention before, Ooh, Esther. That would be an interesting way to watch Patterson. She wonders whether it's better than watching all two hours at once. A bit more episodic that way. That was the thing which really bugged me was the length of it. It felt very tedious rather than fun. Whereas I think if it broke it up, it would kind of wash over you in a kind of pleasant way. That's what she seems to be suggesting. And she attacks your straw man, Phil, who has been saying the film was so wonderful and the best thing ever. Didn't you, you say this? I was mainly no, arguing with not. you, Laurie. Cause nev- your... I would never say it's the best thing ever. Come on, Phil. <laughs> oh. You know me better than this. <laughs> I think you did say uh, it was wonderful. It's <laughs> I, on I tape as well. It. I did like it very much. Fine, go and listen to it and then hit me with it. Okay. Uh, feels a shame you had to react so violently against that perception that others love it too much. I liked it just over a normal amount. Uh, okay. I agree with you, Esther. I apologise if I came a bit strong. I was really arguing with Laurie not you Esther well, there don't we you worry keep your thoughts coming in on Patterson listeners Johnny Valentine got in touch hi superfellas I completely agree with Laurie with his question about a knight's tale uh, that's uh, she is the arrow what does that mean <laughs> I remember as a kid thinking what a comeback uh, but not really understanding why <laughs> that's how it works in film isn't very it very much so yeah the job is done so you understand like oh nice one oh birds yeah. burn 
But the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. I agree, uh, Johnny. We've actually got a tweeter uh, who disagrees with us both that I'll come to in a minute. Uh, This did get me thinking about the film line I've never really got. It appears in that stylized gore fest 300. That's a Mm -hmm. Sparta. There is the part where they ask the visiting army, what is your occupation? And they answer, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, or whatever. (laughs) They answer the question. I don't know where that is the line. I I can't tell whether Johnny's making a gag there. Then Mr. CGI Abs turns to the Spartans and says, Spartans, what is your occupation? And they reply, oh, ooh, oh, ooh, oh, ooh. (laughs) Now, I don't deny that it's a stirring scene, but they've not actually answered the question. They've just made a noise. Surely it would have been just as good a scene for them to shout, we are soldiers, or even, we fight. At least that's an answer. I don't think this fits into the same category that Laurie was saying. I think it kind of does. It does, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the moment where you get what they're going for. If you think about it, what? I agree, Johnny. That is really annoying. <laughs> it's like, what it's, What's funny about that is it really speaks to a very specific kind of audience member who will think, yeah, lads, <laughs> which is not me for sure. Uh, so I agree. Well, you're um, not a lad, Laurie? Not really, no. Uh, I also completely agree, he goes on, about Clive Owen. He is unbelievably bland, potentially Hollywood's greatest con artist, he says. Ouch. Ooh. Uh, I'm not sure what he's got going for him. He's got zero on-screen presence. He's not that good looking. He's as boring as unsalted butter yet he's landed some biggish roles maybe i'm missing something uh, the people that know better than me obviously think he does have it uh, yeah i agree johnny there's some kind of mystery directors seem to love him i saw him in valerian i've seen valerian by the way yes and uh, yeah he is boring in that as well <laughs> he's just like valerian you have 10 hours to do blah, 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 but he was blah, meant blah. to be boring in that wasn't he so it's kind of acceptable no i think he was he meant to like be like a- bison from street fighter <laughs> he did, did. <laughs> Uh, he let me finish off Johnny's email another thing about him is he looks exactly the same as Matthew McFadden or is that Fadian I never know uh, Kieran Knightley's Mr Darcy who I think is equally as boring as an actor I think uh, Matthew McFadden in uh, Kieran Knightley's uh, Pride and Prejudice is great I think he's a really good Mr Darcy oh disagreement another email back and forth bring it on Johnny Valentine <laughs> I'll take you on uh, any day he does concede that he was good in spooks though anyway love you Johnny Valentine thanks very much uh, Phil do you want to give us a quick thought on Valerian before we do tweets annoyingly I have to agree with you but I, I I want to say I enjoyed it but then I think about the bits in the movie and I think oh what was my favourite bit I really liked this bit and I can't think of anything what about I, the market scene I liked that that was probably the the best bit of the film the opening and that was intriguing and exciting I really loved the production of the whole sci-fi aesthetic I liked Cara Delevingne I think she's good and I'm really sad that she didn't have like a proper script to really get her teeth into I think I do think Dan DeHaan was it Dane DeHaan Dane DeHaan I don't think he was well cast okay the person I saw it with my fiance she said yeah he does look a bit like Leonardo DiCaprio but like a sickly one yeah no, that's exactly right that's what I think he's like a sick he's just ill he's, you know, yeah. <laughs> ill Leonardo DiCaprio it, uh, well I mean I, I'm, I still think he could have been good with a better script I, I, think, I agree he needs to be rewritten basically all, all of them needed to be rewritten the script was awful do you agree with that it wasn't as good as it needed to be and there needed to be better set up and more intrigue to be able to then do the final act. I felt like the final act just sort of happened. Well, and it's partly because it comes right after that ludicrous uh, alien fishing Rihanna sequence, which was completely self-contained. I thought that was fun, but it didn't. they didn't set it up well. It was, a, it was a fine idea to have that sort of segue that happens in this sort of bizarre world that they're trying to do an investigation in but it just seems to be too long and there wasn't another one like that. No. And there wasn't another sort of episode in the story. I'd say the market was almost like that. But that was kind of Because it was the beginning like that, yeah. that was set up, wasn't it, for the mm. character. And do you agree with me about slightly troubling stereotypes? No, disagree with you. Okay. I thought it was fine. They're just a random dumb alien species. Right. I thought the real problem was uh, Rihanna. I thought she was horribly cast. Really? And her whole character. Come on, the dance was impressive. It was quite impressive, but the whole speech and chat around her character was bizarre and weird and she's just, not yet an actress for sure no and and i just think they didn't set up her character well so when things happen in the plot it seems a bit weird well, and bizarre they paired her up with ethan hawke who was pretty good actually disagreed didn't yeah, like I thought ethan he was great i've no. never seen him be kind of as sleazy as that i, I like ethan hawke man we disagree on this <laughs> don't we i like ethan hawke but in weird ways like in a weird film role he is and an he was too weird in that okay all right thanks bill right, let's do our final tweets and then we can uh, close off the show PJ got in touch, and here we go. Johnny Valentine, listen out. At Super Belly Bros, re a knight's tale. If she's the arrow, then she's the arrow that Cupid shoots for love. Good to hear that Phil's been hit too. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, PJ. Uh, does that make sense of it? Well, I hear what you're saying there, PJ. If Cupid hasn't had a sort of introduction at that point, uh, but I suppose they would have known about him because he was a Roman god, wasn't he? 
um, in medieval yeah. England. So what the impression What's the arrow is being that, shot like, at well, him? The, the, typically, Cupid shoots the love arrow at you, and then you and then you fall in love with someone, right? Uh, as opposed to falling in love with the arrow, the arrow. It still doesn't make sense <laughs> because the thing is, if she is the arrow, what is that? As I in, love this arrow. Or maybe, it's such maybe a beautiful the arrow. implication is that like she is the one who strikes you, and then you're besotted. So she's the arrow, and we're the target. Kind of, and thing. she makes the target out of you. It's just a bit odd. The ar- I think if it, well, she wasn't the arrow. I think it's still wrong, but thank you for trying to sort out the problem, PJ. Uh, Alistair said, great to have Craig back as Bond. Been watching his fall so far, and they're all strong, even Quantum of Solace. Casino is still top, but miss Judy Dench. Uh, yeah, and we've, we haven't really talked about... Um, oh, no, we did last week, didn't we? We talked about it a long time. Ages. Right, well, there you go. So, no, our thoughts already. Thanks, Alistair. And that is it this week, listeners. Thank you very much, everyone, for being in touch. Get in touch with your plus ones and minus ones of any films that we reviewed. Even if you've emailed in about Dunkirk already, come back at us with all the thoughts. You might have heard it on the other episode <laughs> where your emails are for Dunkirk. Superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. Thanks very if much. If we did change the name, would we change all the email stuff? Because I, I got, know, I know. I got really good at saying that, that now. That's the thing. I, I've worked hard on that, Laurie. Let's keep thinking. Let's okay. Keep thinking. Well, it's ended up being quite a long record, hasn't it? Record? <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. Recording session? That's made it sound a bit too formal. Mm. Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy all our Dunkirk thoughts on the mini episode there. Uh, do remember to let us know your thoughts on Logan Lucky. Really recommend it. Go see it if you can. Or American Made, much better than you might have feared. And yeah, if you've seen Julie and Julia, tell us whether you loathed Julie as much as Phil did. I just don't understand it. How can she be the protagonist? I know what you mean, man. Uh, by this point, I will have done BBC Radio Oxford, so thanks very much, guys, for having me on again. I hope uh, in advance that I don't mess it all up. So there we go. Uh, and listeners, listen out for us again next week. We're going to be back with more movie reviews. What are we doing next week? I didn't see The Dark Tower this week. I'll try and catch up with that. I wouldn't and... worry too much. It's got terrible <laughs> yeah. reviews. Idris, not doing so well. Um, there's other films out, isn't there? There's, there's always films out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Detroit is a big one that we should definitely try and see. Catherine Bigelow, yeah. I really wanted to watch it but it was a schedule conflict with Logan Lucky and I thought you've got to go see Daniel Craig be not Bond haven't you you have to yeah there we go alright listeners have a great week and weekend all that stuff hope it's a lovely time for you rest up well come back ready for more Super Baby Rose fun next week yeah <laughs> bye bye okay a little bit of a bonus have you uh, ever inhaled something like an actual bit of something and you don't know what it is yes I have yeah. I did that I was at a bus stop and I just something flew into the back of my throat like a little <laughs> something or other and uh, I felt like it stuck to my uvula do you find that instantly your mind concocts horrible scenarios in which something is going to make a home inside you or something or I've got an incurable disease from that oh, one no. thing and I'm never going to recover from it I, I remember hacking and splatting uh all over the Oxford tube and yet I couldn't dislodge the fact that I'd been tainted by something. It got you. I didn't know what it was. I mean, the truth is, Phil, and you know, this is probably a horrible thing to say, so I hope no listeners are sleeping when they listen to this. Uh, Apparently... You saw loads of spiders, didn't you? Yeah, in your sleep because stuff crawls over you when you're lying in bed and I can't even think about that for a second. That's how that goes. Really? I hate spiders It doesn't bother me that much at all. I had a moment just like you um, yesterday. I I shaved my head quite recently, Phil, as you well know. So I've got short hair, but I get kind of phantom hair moments. <laughs> do you have that? Well, you like, I think I've got more than I do. And <laughs> there was none more obvious to me uh, than when I was cycling yesterday. And do you know how sometimes when something flies directly at you, like like a fly in your throat or whatever, mm. you can see it for a split second before like, that's it, but not enough time to deal with it. Yeah, this didn't go in my mouth. It was a wasp. I, I knew it was a wasp because I could see the yellow and it flew directly into my forehead and made an audible pfft. <laughs> and like instantly because I had phantom hair I thought it's in my hair it's in my hair like while I was cycling and I was sort of like going I, like, I had a mini meltdown oh no like, on, unfortunately I think it just about ricocheted off but like wow that was a frightening scary movie. stuff when you hit a wasp isn't it yeah man it was terrifying I, st- I haven't learned how to handle my fear of such tiny things like that and spiders as well I'm just such a wimp like, my daughter loves spiders she really sings, sings the song and looks at them and stuff yeah <laughs> There we go. It's obviously not in the genes. Um, we were going to do our Dunkirk bonus, but I'm going to put that on the Dunkirk mini episode. For oh, right. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. let's do that. All right. Bye, listeners. I'm blue. Blue is the color of my run up when we know. Great. <laughs>